Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics on CPAC an abbreviated version tonight because of the late night sitting of the House of Commons and the emergency debate on the ongoing uh, pipeline blockades and protests in this country and the, they've shut down rail service in a lot of Canada and that will be the focus of our program tonight and the growing pressure on the government to find a solution as the House of Commons sat for the first time since the blockades began more than a week ago. It wasn't long before the battle lines over how to respond were drawn so deeply the Prime Minister excluded Conservative leader Andrew Scheer from an all-party meeting today to look at solutions. More on that in a moment. First, though, the Prime Minister issued a special statement in the House today calling on the protesters to engage with his government. Do we want to become a country of irreconcilable differences? Where people talk but refuse to listen? Where politicians are ordering police to arrest people? A country where people think they can tamper with rail lines and endanger lives. This is simply unacceptable. We cannot solve these problems on the margins. That is not the way forward. I know that people's patience is running short. We need to find a solution and we need to find it now. But the leader of the official opposition called the Prime Minister's response weak and a failure of leadership and says he should be enforcing the rule of law. Standing between our country and prosperity is a small group of radical activists, many of whom have little to no connection to First Nations communities. Exactly. A bunch of radical activists who won't rest until our oil and gas industry is entirely shut down. Now, they may have the luxury of not having to go to work every day. They may have the luxury of not facing repercussions for skipping class, but they are blockading our ports, our railways, and our borders, and our roads and highways. And they are appropriating an Indigenous agenda which they are willfully misrepresenting. Here, here, here. So that was Conservative leader Andrew Scheer attacking the Prime Minister today over what he called his word salad in the House of Commons and a weak response to the anti-pipeline blockades. Later in the day, the Prime Minister invited the leaders of the other opposition parties to a meeting to discuss possible solutions, but he did not invite Andrew Scheer. The pipeline issue dominated the daily question period. Here's one of the key exchanges. It is almost 4,400 kilometres from the Wet'suwet'en territory to the protesters in Ontario. And the Prime Minister this morning spoke of dialogue with the people who are breaking the law. Does the Prime Minister think that these protesters have more to say about what is in the best interests of the Wet'suwet'en First Nations, including those elected councillors who want jobs for their kids and their grandkids and who support the Coastal Link Gas Project? Earlier this afternoon, I was pleased to sit down with uh, three parliamentary leaders uh, to talk and discuss concretely about uh, the approach we're taking to constructive dialogue, uh, to resolving this situation, uh, not just peacefully, but for the long term. Uh, the leader of the official opposition, the leader of the Conservatives, uh, excluded himself from this conversation with his unacceptable approach uh, to not constructive dialogue, uh, but falling into an approach that would hurt 
the very people he supposes he wants to help. Also today, First Nations chiefs from Ontario and Quebec, where blockades have stopped rail traffic, held a news conference to urge calm and negotiations. At least one chief suggested it's time to take down the blockades. I'm simply pleading with these, with the uh, protesters, that have you made your point yet? Has the government and the industry understood? I think they did. Now, removing them, removing the blockades, doesn't mean that you surrender anything. It just means you tell the government, okay, we're going to show good faith, we're going to remove the blockades, but keep this in mind. If you do not continue on a, di a dialogue of respect with the, the hereditary chiefs, then we'll be back. Whether the Prime Minister comes himself or the ministers of the Crown, it's the Crown has an obligation. Then the Little Crown has an obligation. You know, the B.C. government has an obligation to get to the table. And then as well, even amongst the Wet'suwet'en people themselves have an obligation to sort this out. Because you see the hereditary chiefs on one side, then you have the Wet'suwet'en people on the other side, and the, and the chiefs duly elected through ban referendums as well to support the Coastal Gas Link. They've got to come to the table. So it doesn't rest with any one person. I'm just calling on all the parties to come together, get this dialogue started in a constructive way, and this can be mapped out going in the future. Just make sure the Aboriginal rights and title holders are there. That's what I would say, you know, to find resolvement here. Well, let's follow up on uh, the government's plan here for trying to deal with these blockades and how to bring them to an end. Uh, some serious questions to be asked. Is negotiation and buying time the right way to go, or should there be a forced end to these blockades? Pam DeMoff is an Ontario MP and the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Indigenous Services. Todd Doherty is a Northern BC MP, the Transport Critic for the Official Opposition Conservatives. And Leah Gazan is a Manitoba MP and the NDP Critic for Families, Children and Social Development. She's a member of the Wood Mountain Lakota Nations. Good to see you all. Thank you for being with me tonight. Yeah, thank, thank you for having me. Pam DeMoff, let me start with you. The Prime Minister is calling for Canadians to show patience here as the government tries to negotiate an end to these blockades. Has the Prime Minister, has the government got a timetable for ending these blockades? How long is the government prepared to allow them to continue and, and how long is it prepared to ask Canadians to show that patience? Well, I think, it, you know, it's changing hour by hour and the conversation continues, the dialogue continues and that's what we have to keep doing. The Prime Minister stressed that today. Minister Miller has been in conversation on the weekend with, uh, with the, uh, the, the Mohawk at the blockade in, in Ontario. But I think, you know, we need to keep these conversations going and we know that what was done in the past didn't work. Um, this, is, this is concrete action that the Prime Minister and Ministers of the Crown are taking in order to move this forward. Right. So they, they want a negotiation process at some point to take place, and I, I think one of the first orders of business is to try and meet with those hereditary chiefs right. uh, on their territory. They're saying there'll be no meeting until they, the RCMP clears out of there. The government can't tell the police what to do. So I guess I'm, I'm still back to the question of the timetable. How long are we, or should Canadians be prepared to have this go on for days and days and days, or uh, how long? I think you have to look at the fact that we continue to work in good faith. We continue to have dialogue, and we need. You know, I, I heard Minister Miller say on the weekend he was talking about peace, order, and good government. And I think we need to focus on the fact that we need peace. We're looking for some. We're looking for a solution that will be long term, and not something that is going to solve the issue today and then have something happen later on. And we need people to be heard. We need Indigenous peoples to to be heard and listened to. And I think that's something that's you know, that's been missing for hundreds of years, right. quite frankly. Let me turn to Mr. Doherty. Uh, Mr. Doherty, Conservatives accused the Prime Minister today of a, a complete abdication of 
a responsibility and leadership. What does your party believe should be done to end the blockades? Well, first and foremost, I'd, I'd like to hear from the, the government and from my colleague to, uh, uh, from the government side whether these blockades are illegal or not. Um, the question was posed time again. We could not get an answer. It took 13 days for the Prime Minister to come back to Canada uh, to actually deal with this issue. Listen, uh, we have uh, organized activists that are uh, taking up blockades, um, protests all over our country, saying that they stand with the Wet'suwet'en. Now, I know many people uh, from the Wet'suwet'en, uh, and uh, they support this project. 85% uh, of the Wet'suwet'en voted in favor of this project. Now, that includes elected uh, ban chiefs and councils, as well as hereditary chiefs. Mm. You know, if you look at this project, Peter, if I can, over $875 million worth of projects have been uh, awarded to local groups, many of them joint venture groups with Indigenous peoples. Uh, over 400 Indigenous people are employed by that project today. And what we've seen over the last 13 days, by the lack of leadership shown by our Prime Minister, is that he has emboldened these paid activist groups, these foreign groups, to really take a stranglehold on our economy. I agree with dialogue. But some of those people may be, uh, as you describe it, they, but, Peter, may, but, but, but you are you saying to, there's no Indigenous people at the blockade? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. It is a very small group, and, and if you listen to the hereditary chiefs and, and some of the band councils and chiefs and the people that are there, they're saying that they don't even know the people that are there. As a matter of fact, if you, if you use the words of Troy Young, who is a Witset First Nation, whose family is, uh, is, uh, has contracts with the Coastal Gas Link, he said, I, I really wish both sides of the story would come out. When people say that they're standing with the Wet'suwet'en, who are they standing okay. with? Okay, uh, Leah Gazan, you, you heard, I mean, what are your questions for the government here about how this should, how they can find a resolution to this? What, what's your party proposing? Yeah, so I mean, I was really disappointed in the Prime Minister's speech today. I think, you know, we were left with many questions. He didn't really give any sort of clear answers about how he uh, is going to deal with this. But but let's, let's not uh, forget where this has come from. For over 150 years, consecutive conservative and liberal governments have had an opportunity to deal with long-standing uh, land issues with Indigenous people. Over 150 years, in fact, in the Ganazadagi, territory uh, with the Mohawk peoples, that's been over 300 years of trying to resolve long-standing land issues. We now find ourselves in this situation again. Uh, I agree with our leader, uh, escalating the situation. We, we have a history of this. Oka, Gufferson Lake. Uh, we don't want to escalate the, this situation further okay, by so what, what bringing is, in the RCMP. What's the solution then? What's the solution? Well, I think absolutely the first step is dialogue. I was really disappointed with the Prime Minister. The Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs have requested a meeting with him. He is not going to be attending. It sounds like from the speech that he made in the House today that he's sending Minister Bennett. I think that he needs to take a leadership role in this. He needs to meet with the Wet'suwet'en leadership. He needs to meet with other authorities that are involved in this matter and, and come up with a solution that works. All right, Pam, Pam Damoff, uh, others, including uh, 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 former Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould, have suggested that today, that Justin Trudeau should get on a plane, pick up uh, the B.C. Premier and head to uh, Wet'suwet'en Territory and show up and try and get this resolved. W what about that? Well, Minister Bennett has, has said that she will meet with them. Um, 
obviously they're waiting for an invitation from the wet sweat and people for the meeting. Um, but I get really frustrated when people say that there's no action happening. I don't understand why people don't, don't say, don't recognize that dialogue is action, that having these conversations is action to resolve the issues. We, we fully recognize that this is, is uh, an issue for Canadians, that for Canadian business, for schools, for hospitals, and not discounting that at all. But if there's no dialogue happening, we will not come to a resolution at all. But for a lot of Canadians watching, I mean, the flip side of that is that the dialogue okay to try and get a resolution, but a lot of them are, and, and we heard from Indigenous leaders today that Indigenous communities are starting to be affected too uh, sure. with the rail blockade. So, I mean, yes, dialogue is one thing, but there's still the action piece of people saying, okay, well, how long does the dialogue, and that's what I came back to my first question, how long does the dialogue continue while the blockade continues? Uh, or is there a way to have the blockade end and the dialogue continue? But, but we've seen what's happened when we've used force, as, as Mr. Shear was suggesting, uh, that you know we, the government just used force to end these uh, the, the challenges that we have with the blockades. We've seen what's happened with that in the past, and we don't want a repeat of that. And I, and I think you know the the uh, we don't tell the RCMP how to enforce the laws, nor should we, uh, in spite of what the opposition has the the conservative opposition has suggested. So I think we're we're going in the right way uh, and everyone in government okay. is seized with this. Mr. Doherty, let, let me have you talk about that. If, if, mm -hmm. Is it your view that police should move in and, and uh, shut down these blockades? No, I think the rule of law should be enforced. We are a country that abides by the rule of law. Nobody is uh, suggesting that uh, that uh, you know, uh, how, how else would you put, enforce the rule of law without lies. the police moving in and Well, again, we allow the police to do their jobs. I think that that's, that's the number one thing, is allow the police to do the jobs. Nobody should be interfering. And I think, uh, I think all, I, well, listen, you know, Peter, I think the first and foremost, you know, are the, these blockades illegal? If as a country and as a government and, and elected officials, we can agree that, that those blockades are illegal, well then, uh, something needs to be done. But and, first, are, are, how concerned are you that if police did move in, that would uh, either uh, lead to a more, you know, well, violence I, or again, perhaps bloodshed or, or more blockades? Well, again, it, we are crystal balling it, and I don't have a crystal ball to be able to say. But sometimes with these things, violence. don't you need to? You have to look at what are the consequences of taking one step because it might lead to. Uh, unwanted consequences. So you do have to crystal ball to some extent. Well, and say, I, I if trust, I do this, what's the next move on their well, part? I trust that our police, who have been tasked to protect all Canadians, have the tools, the negotiating skills, and the uh, the skills available and necessary to be able to defuse this situation. What we need to be able to do is have all around the table to have that discussion to be able to defuse the situation. First and foremost, okay. we need leadership from our Prime Minister. If we have First Nations, we're talking about dialogue. Well, the Prime Minister didn't even come back to Canada until yesterday. So when you have a Prime Minister that's absent, running around the, the, the world, really globetrotting, and he's not seeing this as uh, important, um, enough to be here. He had his arm twisted to be back in in okay. Canada. Well, it is because he's here. To, he is here okay, now. Okay, you made and that we, case. Let me let me move to Leah Gazan and, sure. and bring her back into the conversation. So, um, Leah Gazan, what are you what are you watching for then in the next couple of days? What what would satisfy you? What would be progress to you as this story continues to unfold? 
Well, I think certainly, uh, I mean, I would urge the, the uh, Prime Minister to make with the uh, wet sweat and hereditary cheese. I, I want to make clear, oh, like, I feel, I feel uh, really, really uh, bad for workers. Like, I have a lot of people in my riding that work for CN and Via Rail. Mm -hmm. But let me go back. This is a result of consecutive conservative and liberal governments who have not dealt with long-standing uh, issues. Sending in, I agree with our leader, sending in uh, police. We have seen the examples. I can crystal ball it. It's called the Oka crisis, Gufferson Lake. Uh, we don't need that to happen. We need to get people back to work. We need to do this in a way that honors fundamental Indigenous human rights, human rights for all, and also addresses what, what's the other elephant in the room, which is the thousands and thousands and thousands of Canadians, particularly young Canadians, who are absolutely worried about our current climate emergency and are tired of people not listening. This is, it's time for people to sit down and listen and move forward in, in a way that uh, respects everyone involved. All right, on that note, we'll have to leave our conversation, thank but you very much. I'm sure we'll have a chance to pick up on it again. I want to thank all of you for your time tonight. It's uh, an important issue to the country, and uh, it's being debated in Parliament, uh, and uh, where it should be uh, debated, and we'll continue to follow it. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks. An hour ago, I had a meeting with uh, Mr. Singh, Mr. Blanchet, and Ms. May uh, to discuss how uh, this government is working to uh, engage in peaceful resolution of uh, this situation. Mr. Scheer uh, disqualified himself from uh, constructive discussions with his unacceptable speech earlier today. It's a complete distraction. I believe this meeting was called after the Prime Minister's comms team realized what a disastrous speech he gave in the House of Commons. That was weak, 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 weak. To paraphrase Margaret Thatcher, what a weak response that we saw today. Well, let's continue the conversation over the anti-pipeline blockades and the government's response with three colleagues from the Parliamentary Press Gallery. Susan Delacorte's a columnist with the Toronto Star, Christy Kirkup, parliamentary reporter with the Globe and Mail, and John Iveson is a columnist with the National Post and the Parliamentary Bureau Chief for Post Media. Good to see you all. So, uh, you have, we saw what we saw in terms of the debate in the House today. You have the Prime Minister then calls a meeting of opposition leaders, brings them all together into his office, doesn't invite Andrew Scheer. Uh, because he says Andrew Scheer's comments in the House today have disqualified him from any productive discussion on this. What do you think of that, that move of inviting opposition leaders to try and sort of plot a path forward and saying, Andrew Scheer, you're not invited? I, I don't think it was the best of ideas. Um, I, I was actually struck during the statements in the House in the morning about how polarized the House is on this one as well. You know, that the House has been off while most of this mm -hmm. has been building. And I had expected actually people to be trying to crowd into the middle and um, maybe not stampede to the middle, but at least kind of take the edges off what is becoming a very nasty debate. Mm -hmm. um, whether Justin Trudeau likes it or not, Andrew Scheer is speaking for people in this country who are vexed and perplexed by this, who don't see a way out. And I actually think it was incumbent on the Prime Minister to speak to representatives of people, no matter what Shear said in the House, there are two sides that have to be brought together in this, and I think it was, um, I, I, I thought it was actually uncharacteristically small-minded of the Prime think, Minister. Chris? Yeah, I, I was surprised uh, to see that uh, this invitation was not 
granted. And I think, frankly, Andrew Scheer doesn't really care at this point. We kind of saw a bit of that I don't care attitude today where, where he was just really forceful in, in coming out and, and raising concerns. He believes that he's speaking uh, to Canadians who are, are very frustrated uh, with the fact that they feel like uh, the situation has... Uh, snowballed out of their control. Um, there's questions about when an end could be in sight because uh, much like uh, with the Idle No More movement that happened years ago, um, there's of course a situation with the Wet'suwet and hereditary mm -hmm. chiefs opposing uh, this uh, project uh, and the uh, chiefs that are in favor, the elected chiefs that are in favor, and then the demonstrations that are kind of taking on a, a whole new life. So I think for the Prime Minister to not extend uh, that invitation to have all the leaders around on the table, it, it seemed uh, unusual to me. Um, I'm not really sure uh, what they were trying to achieve there. John, what do you think? Well, I think he should have extended the invitation. It probably would have been turned down anyway. We are in a minority government. He only needs one or two parties on site to, to do anything he wants to do. But it's not clear what he wants to do. I don't think he knows himself what he wants to do. And I think there'll be a lot of people in this country who are were looking for him to at least condemn the idea that this tiny minority is, is holding this the vast majority of the country to ransom, um, and he didn't do that. It, it makes me wonder. I mean, if if you uh, you you're, you're trying to be seen to bring in all voices to around the table to find a path forward, especially in, in a minority parliament. And I, I'm, I'm wondering. It struck me what, when I heard this to say, why wouldn't you just invite him anyway? And, and either he says no or he does come. Given what we heard in the House, uh, Andrew Scheer was going to hear a, a, an earload for his position from the Bloc, the NDP, and Elizabeth May anyway. Justin Trudeau could have sat back and let them say what he's thinking, but just thank them all for coming to the meeting and move on, right? Or he could have sat there, and I, I found, I'm sure my colleagues have too here, um, every time I, I admit I've been vexed by this as well, um, and every time I sort of inquire a bit further, I start learning how complicated and difficult this is and I think I think it was a chance for Justin Trudeau to say listen it's not as simple as just calling the cops mm -hmm. or pressing 911 um, that the, there are many many moving parts in this whole uh, drama and every time we 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 uh, inquire a bit further we find out about more moving parts we don't and I think just the chance to explain that to sheer politician to politician, human being to human being, could have taken some of the sting Well, out I think of one, one thing that could have been relayed to the Leader of the Opposition, I'm sure that Trudeau is hearing from the Chief of the Defence Staff and the Head of the RCMP mm -hmm. and various other people that this is a very difficult country to, to keep moving if there's a determined will to grind it to a halt. Right. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a school of thought about uh, uprisings and unrest does not come from motivation it's feasibility mm. and somebody applied this feasibility study to Canada it's pretty vulnerable you've got half of the indigenous populations under 30 you've got uh, long undefended transportation routes that move everything from city to city and you've got uh, sparse security forces which with leaders who are not disposed to using them so as as you know the, the the prime minister seems completely disinclined to to look at the force option for now i think that's pretty clear in some of the for now i mean for the comments but i guess that raises two quite for people watching after what they've seen today i think they probably have two big questions you know uh what's the plan and how long does this continue i mean those are the big questions do we know the answer to either of those no and i don't think the 
Prime Minister can be seen as having the answer to those. That's why I don't think we're getting that in the way of specifics. I honestly think that if they are seen as trying to impose a solution on a community that there is clearly a divide among leadership, uh, that that is not going to go over well. And that would really go against everything that the Prime Minister has worked on in terms of the reconciliation agenda, which is why he is, I think, politically so vulnerable on this file. But I agree with you on that, but this is the reconciliation leader. Mm -hmm. And he came up with a plan two years ago in the House of Commons where he said that we've got a rights recognition mm -hmm. framework which we will have in place by the next election. And essentially it would, it wasn't clear exactly how it would work, but essentially it was going to hand self-government and self-determination back to First Nations who would then discuss with the government Aboriginal land title. So really I think this dispute is about law and governance, not about pipelines or climate change particularly. That agenda or that framework just disappeared when Jody Wilson-Raybould disappeared. Right. And the successor plan, which we think Carolyn Bennett was working on, has never seen the light of day. So I, I think some questions to that minister about what she's going to do about this are in order. Susan? What we learned over the weekend, uh, mainly through those recordings that were done uh, uh, in... When Mark Miller Mark was meeting. Miller's meetings, yes. Down um, in Tyendinaga. Was... I, I learned an interesting number over the weekend too. There's been more than 30 blockades since this all started and all but six had been resolved. Mm -hmm. But the big ones are in Belleville and Tyendinaga. And um, I think what we learned during that is how much that's being led by the British Columbia chiefs. Um, that, that, that the level of communication between them and I think the government's view is Whatever is going on in, around, in and around Belleville is not going to stop until the say-so from BC. So we've got to keep our eyes on sort of two places here. The people I've been talking to inside government are still reasonably confident that within a few days there will, there, a, a resolution will appear. Yet we saw Bennett, um, yeah. Mr. Bennett, saying today, we may have to wait for a meeting till the end of the month. That was not encouraging. The, the hereditary yeah. chiefs they're trying to meet with suggested, you know, the end of the month, and the, she it sounds like politely suggested something sooner might be better. So I mean, what do you think here? Are we, you know, do you think? Do, and I suppose, you know, what's the, the pressure's mounting now? What kind of pressures there if by week's end, for instance, there still doesn't seem to be a plan and well, no then, idea of when the blockade's going to? Well, be. then we start seeing real-life impact from this, you know, mm -hmm. they're talking about chlorine for water treatment plants. People are going to have to, the way boil water advisories across the country, which is kind of ironic. Mm -hmm. um, propane, you know, de-icing fuel for aircraft. Maybe flights won't be taken off. I mean, at that point, people are going to be really, really upset. It was a good point, though, you made, though, Susan, about the, that uh, blockades. There was a blockade for seven hours in, uh, on the line going westward, and it was more eco-activists than yeah. indigenous people. There was an injunction taken out, and that was cleared within seven hours. The police moved in, so there, so it's double standard. Well, I wouldn't say a double standard, but they were far less wary of clearing uh, a bunch of young eco activists than uh, Mohawk right. warriors. Yeah, but Minister Bennett has made it clear again: this all has to be by invitation, and this was the same issue for the Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller who met with the Mohawk uh, Nation representatives over the course of the weekend. It was at the request of the Mohawk Nation that he went and he had the meeting. They sat down for several hours. 
He was very careful in his language when he emerged from that meeting and there's a reason why um, because the government does not want to be seen as saying or doing anything that could potentially inflame the situation and I wonder how much the government is counting on uh, you know the uh, the desire for movement to come from within the indigenous community itself that was kind of interesting when the, yeah. the chiefs first nations chiefs were in Ottawa today and, and one of them Serge Simon said look it's time maybe to bring the blockades down to be compassionate not just for non-indigenous people but this is going to start hitting mm -hmm. a lot of indigenous communities and I wonder if they're if, if they're looking for some pressure to come from within to say look there's another way to go about this we did see that last week too with the Mohawk chief down there who got out of his truck and went over and read remarks saying look people are living paycheck to paycheck right. and this is hitting them. I think the government is hoping, as Christy's saying, that they, they are hoping that this comes from within because Ottawa imposing a solution would just end kind of badly. All right. Well, we'll get together again next Monday. It, maybe. We'll see if we're still talking about <laughs> yeah. it. If the lights are still on. If the yeah. lights are still on. Yeah. Thank you all. That's all for this edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC, the Cable Public Affairs Channel. I'm Peter Van Dusen. Thanks for watching.